Okay, so well, welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And today we are joined by Johannes Pavola, and we are going to talk about prep. So thank you for joining us, Johannes. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. It's been a while. It has been a while, yeah. It's been a while since we've been on the podcast, not since we've actually that game. Oh, yeah, no. It's, that was like it's, last week. Or yeah, that was Thursday. Uh, yeah. No, Friday, sorry. <laughs> yeah. But um, today we're going to talk about prep for games and the value of it, how much prep we do, things like that. And one of the reasons I asked Johannes to join us, partly, like I say, because it's been a while since he's been on the podcast, but also because I kind of get the feeling that on the sort of prep spectrum of like prep light to prep heavy i get the feeling that you love your sort of like more at the light end of the prep spectrum mm-hmm. and i'm probably more at the, the sort of heavy end of the prep spectrum to the point where i think i might have a problem mm-hmm. and I, I sort of envy and i may be wrong with this i sort of envision you johannes you're somewhere near the middle of that spectrum uh, that's not unfair to to describe it like that but we'll we'll get into it indeed <laughs> so i thought it'd be nice of people with like sort of on different ends of that sort of scale so before we go on um love would you like to sort of give us a little bit of a breakdown of like your your role-playing experience how long you've been role-playing for whether you jam or play mainly uh been role-playing about 25 years i'd guess i'm about 50 50 for games i run versus games i gm yep and obviously you do get some extra points having worked in a game (laughs) shop back in the day so yeah and how about yourself johannes uh, I think it's. I honestly don't remember anymore when I started, but I think it's coming on uh, two decades now, thereabouts, of, of gaming. And um, uh, yeah, most of that has been running games. Yeah. And likewise, I've been. I mean, I'm 40 now. I've been gaming since like my sort of mid to late teens. So it's a fair old while. And I've mainly been jamming myself. I. Thanks to the miracle of online technology, I get to play in more games now, one of which is uh, Mummy the Curse game, Johannes is running, which I'm very much enjoying. So I do get to play a lot more now, because we're in a very small town myself and Hannah, where there's not like a massive pool of people, but I still keep my hand in running games as well. Yeah, that's been true of me as well. Uh, as time goes on, I find that online, play faci- uh, online gaming facilities play for me much more than uh, yeah. face-to-face ever did. That's it. I mean, obviously, as we all know, with like, the pandemic and things going on at the minute, online gaming at the moment is certainly really the only option if you want to carry on sort of gaming with other people. So a lot of people who are doing, um, would normally be doing in-person games, have sort of moved across to online gaming. Whether they'll go back to just purely in-person gaming when some sort of resolution's reached, or whether they'll stay with online gaming, we don't know. But it's nice to have that option, and obviously online gaming i'm able to game with people like yourself johannes who obviously you live in finland i Mm -hmm. live in i live in the united kingdom united in inverted commas Mm -hmm. so that would not have been possible in person so much as like everything technology has its flaws it's very useful things like that but today we're going to talk about gaming prep so first of all let's talk about what do we actually and obviously feel free to jump in guys what do we think the actual value is of doing prep for games so i tend to be one or the other either i've got a really solid game plan or i've got three bullet points (laughs) right okay 
And some games, sometimes the players don't really get what you're going for. And if you've got that huge plan and the players don't get what it is, it just becomes awkward and tedious. Okay. Whereas if you've got those three bullet points and they really get into it, you can get a really good game out of it. But if they don't get it and you've only got the three bullet points, you've got nothing. And that's when it really falls apart. So you have to sort of know what you're going into with the gaming group. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I suppose I, I, suppose I think for me personally, I think the, the value of prep is, especially to beginning games masters, is it gives you a, a framework or something you can fall back on when like something unexpected happens so you don't just have to do it all off the cuff now once you've been jamming a while if the players do something really off the wall it's you can just sort of freestyle it you know your world well enough that's grand you can roll with it I, and i'm fairly confident in doing that now i certainly know when i first started though i wouldn't have been as confident with just like coming up with stuff off the cuff so having like that prep there even if like you say it's just three bullet points well enables you to sort of refer back to that and it gives you the sense of confidence to actually like handle whatever the player characters can throw at you i suppose yeah definitely when i was starting out it would be a lot more extensive and a lot more detail oriented as well i i think in general just like the um uh the amount of prep uh over time for me uh will have overall gone down but also the nature of it will have changed drastically Um, so to start with i would have probably a lot more let's say mechanical detail down for whatever i was doing yeah whereas now i am vastly more comfortable with just extemporizing mechanical details as well and of course a lot of that comes down to uh being familiar with what you're doing so the game and uh also just having the confidence that you kind of know what you're doing on a mechanical level yeah it is really important to put in the prep work on your setting and on your rules system and that's why i tend to fall back on rule systems that i know yeah but also why i like to get the players in on world building because then they're putting a lot of that prep work in on building the game world and everybody's more enthusiastic about it because of that. Yeah, yeah. it's it's free investment uh, from the players into your game before it even starts. Exactly. I mean, I, I think as well, that's why... I, and I've, I've been a big proponent of games that have, like, a, a strong central core mechanic. So, like, two of the games I, I, I sort of game in are, obviously, like, World of Darkness games, where it's like a D10 dice pool, see how many successes you've got, you need a certain number. And obviously the sort of D20 mechanic roll a d20, add your modifiers, beat the difficulty number, you have succeeded. And you can, even if you don't know the specific rules, you can extrapolate a lot from those core mechanics. Mm -hmm. So for me, that made it easier to grasp. And I was was more sort of like, as long as I stick with these core mechanics, I won't go far wrong. Therefore, I had to put a lot less like notes in terms of the mechanics of stuff that I was doing. So I could then focus on like the story and the NPCs and stuff like that because I used to spend ages like, 
writing down like cards and post-its with like oh here's here's how much falling damage you take and like oh if the players try yeah. to jump something they got to do this yeah farmer number six has this much skill bonus to his skill rolls <laughs> and the other things that don't actually matter in the game but you you i had those kinds of things down uh when i was starting out which i no longer do yeah i mean that's it and uh I used to, I mean, certainly when I was running World of Darkness games, I used to have, like, all of, like, if I was running, like, a vampire game, saying I was like, oh, there's 20 vampires in this city, I'd have, like, 15 of those, like, fully written up with, like, character sheets, and I'd have notes on what all their disciplines did and what their powers did and what they what their influences were and who their retainers were and stuff like that. Whereas, once you've sort of, you've got a little bit more system mastery under your belt and you know sort of how that system works... I can feel comfortable with like going. Oh yeah, there's a there's this venture vampire or whatever, and he's got he's got a, a level of potence. And like, if it comes up and you get into a fist fight with him, I can then go. Well, I don't need to have his exact powers and his exact level written down. I'm, I've been playing that game long enough. I'm comfortable with just sort of intuiting it from my notes rather than having to have like a big detailed NPC sheet written out for everybody. Yeah, uh, one of the things that I've noted in. Uh, well, you mentioned World of Darkness games, and we both have played those quite a bit. But in some of the newer material, I've noted that they've kind of, even though it's still kind of heavily influenced, all the new material still is kind of heavily influenced by what originally they came up with in the 90s, which a lot of that has a lot of mechanical detail. Yeah. The NPCs included, and it's just like throwaway characters would uh, be presented as deserving somehow all this mechanical complexity. But some of the new mater- newer materials have sort of it, it kind of they present some things boiled down to basically how good uh, a, a particular thing um, is at doing something, how much finesse they can put into their effort, and how well they can resist stuff having done to them. And um, I, I find that that's sort of the area that I move around in, regardless of game system, uh, in in my brain uh, and yeah. in my sort of maybe written, maybe unwritten prep as well. So like, oh, this uh, individual would be average in these areas, and maybe their one thing that they're good at is higher than that. And then uh, I'll sort of like a very broad sketch of uh, a character and or an NPC or monster, whatever it is. Yeah, and I mean, as far as I remember, they, they sort of give them like a broad sort of like expertise level, don't they? Where it's like, yeah, if, if, they're, if they're good at something, roll this many dice. If they're bad at it, roll this many dice. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I I do like the uh, asymmetry there uh, because it, it does, for me uh, at least, it, it seems like it's just the way that you should do it because you save time doing it. And I personally uh, would say that you probably don't, you're n- never going to need all the all the all the details uh, on your sheet but of course if that's something you want to do that's like i've been there <laughs> this is yeah. just me sort of reflecting on what worked for me in the past and what doesn't anymore so i'm, I'm definitely else i'm i feel way more comfortable in the sort of like three main things <laughs> and you put those down and that's uh all the detail you need and then you just extemporize whatever else you need yeah, I mean, I think for myself as well, because I had like a, a bit of a break from when I was mainly running like in-person games to when I got into running online games. And I think when I first came back to to running games, it was why I gravitated towards sort of simpler games like Fate and stuff like that. Because in a Fate game, especially if you're running like Fate Accelerated like myself, you've got, you've got like maybe like 
four or five approaches which are all sort of quite descriptive so you're like oh he's uh he's amazing at sword fighting or whatever and then you have like maybe a couple of stunts which just give like tiny modifiers so it's very like sort of quick and easy to just like create an npc on the fly by going like right okay this guy's got this guy's got an amazing rating at sword fighting because he's a sword fighter and he's amazing at dodging but anything else he's terrible and then you can add like a few stunts if you want you can come up with them very quick so that enabled me to just sort of because obviously working at the time and sort of didn't have a lot of time to do like the mechanical prep and because it's online i'm sat in the, the small room i'm in now I, I couldn't have a big table with all like my notes spread over it and stuff like that mm-hmm. so i was like right okay what notes i do have i want to either fit on like a pack of index cards or a small notebook and just have hair on the table next to me but i've really got to sort of focus down on the bits that i consider to be important and for for me it's always been like oh well the, the story of the game and like the events that are going to occur rather than the little sort of nitty gritty like mechanical details i mean obviously the, the rules are important because they enable the game aspect of it but if you just have that and you don't really have a story mm-hmm. again it's just just rolling some dice and nothing really happens see the thing i always find myself spending a lot of time on is props yeah like uh player handouts or um actual props sometimes and it seems like a really important thing to make the story work when i'm doing it and sometimes it is really good but sometimes it's just like a massive waste of time no i mean i I agree with the I, i agree with the importance of props and it's one of the things i like about running games using like virtual tabletops because Obviously, mm-hmm. let, let's say you're playing some characters and you come across an ancient statue buried by the desert sands or whatever. Obviously, I will still describe that, but it's nice just to be able to like go on Google Image Search or whatever, grab a picture that looks appropriate, and while I'm talking, I can just click a button, it pops up on all the player characters' screens. They they can instantly have like a bit of a visual reference. I don't know if you've used that, Johannes, in like the um, the mummy game with like your pictures of NPCs and locations in Rio and stuff like that. that you're able to pop up for us regarding the um the mummy game specifically yeah uh, the um it's weird right um sorry i was just uh, drifting that a little bit <laughs> um, but I was, I was musing on um on the topic and i i kind of figured that the um overall the prep for that one because of the way that the game it's it's mummy the curse first edition right so yeah. uh the game is sort of heavily leaning towards the person running it for almost everything really because they're one of the key concepts in the game is that uh player characters have difficulties remembering things because they are eternal entities that exist over vast periods of time and their memories decay as they die and die and die over again and um that kind of puts like player character backgrounds and the world and all the social networks and all, all everything is thrown at the the person uh, running the game. So as John was mentioning, yeah, I have some like props for things. I have people and places and all that stuff. And uh, additionally, it's just everything else <laughs> as well. Uh, and uh, that got me thinking that the um, the nature. Uh, and the amount of prep 
are probably, uh, at least for me, uh, it, of course, I'm, I'm quite blessed to have a very stable uh, group of, of people that I play with. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think the amount and nature of the prep that you do slash have to do or feel like you have to do depends on you being familiar with the kind of play that your players want to do as well mm -hmm. uh, and, and pursue so that you can sort of laser focus, I guess, your, the content that you prep. So I know that I don't need to prep, let's say, um, I don't know, like video game development studios in Rio de Janeiro because that's not relevant <laughs> to either yeah. the player, players or the characters. And uh, I know that uh, neither of, uh, of my players in that game will sort of impromptu start pursuing that sort of thing. So I have a very high percentage chance of guessing what I need to prep and be correct. And uh, that is uh, a massive blessing in a game like that, that sort of puts a heavy onus on, on the person running it for content generation. And uh, that's, uh, of course, not the case. Let's say, John, you, you're quite um, uh, experienced with con games. And yeah. that is the complete opposite of that because yeah. you never know who's going to play. Very much. So, you just get a random group of people rock up and you're like, right, I've got to have a scenario that can interest whoever turns yeah. it. Yeah. yeah so, with con games, I've always felt like it's really important to have quite a lot of prep there just so that because different people are going to latch on to different things. And like you say, you never know who's going to be there. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the handy things with con games, particularly for like the games on demand stuff we do, where it's like two hour taster sessions, is. You, you tend to fall back on sort of like tried and tested like tropes and sort of like stereotypes in a game because you haven't got a campaign or like a lot of sessions to develop this world and do like a really intricate plot. Whereas if you say to people like, oh, it's a Star Wars style game, you're space pirates trying to rob this Imperial ship, this is the scenario, let's go. Like, everyone has a sort of frame of reference to that and they can jump into that and get on board straight away. So you do have to do some prep but you also have to make the prep general enough so everyone can like instantly get on board with it so another thing with prep yeah how are you got what are your opinions on pre-written adventures because i don't use them often and i tend to change them quite a lot when i do use them but i have found them really really handy when i've been short on ideas for what i want to do for a story mm -hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> I suppose that would be the main advantage uh, that, of course, you, you just used that. But on that very topic, the uh, the thing that I tend to butt against with most sort of published adventure material is that mm -hmm. I don't feel like a lot of the things that I've personally been exposed to across the sort of publishing decades that I've had access to not a lot of it has been written from a sort of user experience standpoint. Yeah, It's not very easy at all to sit down and say, I'm going to run this whatever campaign or, or adventure and just have it work out that way. No, you need to sit and you need to put in a lot of work to parse the information and categorize it and probably make your own notes on the material. Mm -hmm. And um, I've, I've been in a position where I've, where I've uh, kind of gone through uh, an adventure thing like 100 pages uh, A4 size of course that includes art and everything but I've sort of re read through the whole thing and then just written out in a notebook 
just all the important information and then just use the notebook to run the thing, which is obviously, um, I don't know, it it feels uh, like a substandard use of the material because obviously the the usability should be a high uh, priority for that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the the only time I've sort of picked up an adventure and pretty much like 99% run it as is was when I ran um, the the Dolmenwood Winter's Daughter uh, adventure for you yeah, guys yeah. playing in the Midlands game way back when. And I think that is just because, and I've seen this sort of evolve over time, like Gavin Norman who wrote that, he's gone to such great lengths to like make it easily sort of like fittable into most campaign worlds and also very clearly laid out so i sort of read it through a few times and i and normally i'm like yourself i'd make loads of notes whereas with this one i was like oh the way it's neatly laid out i don't really feel i need to do that but that's like a few and far between i mean most sort of um most sort of like pre-planned scenarios i tend to get i don't really look at them as so much as here's an adventure i can run i look at it and i'm like here's a grab bag of things that I could potentially put into my game. So I might take odd scenes or just an NPC or a little bit of something else, and I'll work that into my game, but it's very rare I use an entire adventure. I mean, we, we saw this with the um, with the Fall of London book for Vampire 5th Edition. Yeah, that, That's got loads of adventure scenarios and stuff like that in, but all I took from it really was the background element of, right, you're starting in London, most mm-hmm. of the other vampires are dead, the Inquisition's everywhere, and I took that little bit and I pretty much jettisoned the rest of it. So mm-hmm. I was like, that's not really going to work for, for the campaign as envisioned. I've run very few um, like big long-form things uh, out of a pre-published material. And um, I think there's a lot of challenges in, in do- just creating that kind of product as well. Because, of course, by the nature of role-playing games, you don't exactly know what will happen. And yeah. uh, it, it involves a lot of thought that, and, and some compromise as well in the material, of course, which you'll need, you'll have to work around that if I mean, you run it. Well, we talked a bit about earlier about how easy or difficult it is to guess sort of like what your characters are going to do. And I know something that you do yourself, Johannes, at the end of sessions I do, and I'm assuming you do, love, is just to, just to say to people at the end of the session, right, what are you doing next session? We did it in last Friday's um smoke and snow campaign right at the end of the session after we'd finished recording i was like right what are you guys gonna do and you're like right we're gonna head north to the mountains where there's rumored to yeah. mithril and we're gonna go like mithril mining and i'm like great that tells me what i need to prep i know you've got to travel from here to here and the end goal when you get there is you want to try and find some mithril so i can plan for that i don't need to worry about what's going on to the west or to the east yeah easiest way to write a story that your players are interested in is to ask them what do they want to do yeah Pretty much. I mean, your players are are a resource. If if you're trying to make something that's interesting for you and the players, why not just ask them what you're interested in? I know you do at the end of all of your um, mummy sessions, or or we'll sometimes get contacted between the games on like Facebook and just be like, Mm -hmm. all right, guys, so I'm I'm doing a bit of prep for the next session. What are you guys thinking of doing? And I do this myself. I mean, it's very easy, especially now with sort of modern technology, to keep in touch with your players, whether it's a Facebook group, Discord, something like that, or emails. So it's very easy to just ask them mm-hmm. what you guys plan on doing next session. And obviously players can talk to each other between sessions. So even if you get to the end of like a game session and you may be like, you're a bit worn out, it's been a mammoth session or whatever, and you can't really put it together, it's easy enough to contact people between games and say, like, oh, 
what do your guys want to do next session yeah and um just a, a general prep related thing that um i thought probably merits mention as well as separately is uh your players character sheets extremely valuable and nifty source of whatever they want to do in the game so mm -hmm. if you have three wizards in your adventuring party probably interested in magic stuff so yeah mm -hmm. you can look for easy cues and i do that all the time whatever the game is some games are explicitly about that so some games will just basically say that the things that you select from character creation on will generate or dictate or, or heavily steer you towards some kind of content specifically mm -hmm. uh, tied to whatever you chose which is, is great because that, well, um, let's say uh, it at least lowers the amount of guesswork you have to do as far as like, what should I do uh, for my prep or the next adventure? Yeah. Okay then, guys. So we've, uh, let, let's do a bit of a hypothetical scenario there. You've got a game coming up in, let's say, a week's time. Mm -hmm. You're sitting down to start your prep. When you sit down to start your prep, what is the first thing you do when you sit down? You've got no prep done yet, apart from like previous Open sessions. Open a notepad window on my laptop. Write down three bullet points. And as I say, that might be the end of my prep. Otherwise, try and expand on those. Take a look over the character sheets and see if there's any like little details I can add in for specific characters yeah particularly if i feel like somebody got left out a bit last time try and put something that's definitely for them this time um and then maybe go to photoshop and start making props <laughs> so are, are we talking well i guess it, it doesn't truly ultimately matter uh my answer would be probably uh i will be browsing the materials for whatever the game is that i'm running so yeah. I find that um, I end up doing the actual for reals, like bullet point or more extensive prep all the way at the end. Mm -hmm. And I'll have spent like two, like if we're talking about a new game starting, for example, I, I will have spent all of the previous <laughs> weeks just sort of drifting across the material that I have and uh, just thinking on it on, on off uh, during other things happening during work. Um, whatever it is that I'm doing and uh, then I'll distill my thoughts down at the end of that process and then uh, I'll it might just be like Hannah was saying it might just be a couple of bullet points of whatever I thought was the best things that I came up with over the course of let's say two weeks and um, or it might be just me writing several pages worth of notes uh, creating um, all these picture props that we have for example for mummy uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's variable what the end result is, but it always starts with me just sort of like floating around in the um, sort of inspirational stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think for myself, one of the reasons why I like um, doing like hex crawl style games, which are my my preference, is because like a lot of the preps like front loaded in that because you're sort of mm -hmm. creating um, a map populating it like your dungeons your monsters your, your your encounters your stuff like that so there's a lot of prep up front but once you've done that and obviously there's random tables and books and stuff that can help you with that once you've done that and you've sort of dropped the players into that world the 
the prep then is really just sort of like knowing like well where are the players planning to go yep. what are they planning to do and then you can just look at your map and go like oh they're planning on going to to this river oh i know there's a I know there's like a tribe of gnolls like uh, a mile to the north of this river or maybe they're sending out some raiders or something like that and that sort of initial idea is often enough to sort of get me over that initial hump of like Rob what are we going to do and then once you've it's far easier once you've started the ball rolling to keep it rolling if you see what I mean yep I think definitely um there's probably a whole lot we could talk about when it comes to sandbox stuff I know that you recently I think you've got a, a book as well about populating your <laughs> sort of sandbox. I did, yeah. It's, um, it's a book called Filling in the Blanks, A Guide to Populating Hex Crawls. And I got a hard copy of it recently, but I've actually I've had a PDF copy for like ages. And I've been using it quite a lot for like the Smoke and Snow campaign. But because um, sometimes I have a bit, a bit of trouble like sort of squinting at like PDFs on screens. If I use a book for like quite a bit, I tend to try and get a hard copy of it. Um so this one, ironically, I tend to end up using like both, like when I'm sort of doing bits and pieces. Now, I'll have the print book open in front of me, and then because the the PDFs are like bookmarked, and there's lots of different sections. Like, oh, if you've rolled, there's a, there's a structure in this hex. Go to this table. I can then just quickly like have the main table open in front of me, and then quickly use the bookmarks to like jump to the specific point of the subtables. But yeah, that's really good for just basically being able to randomly roll up terrain and populate them with lairs and maps and encounters and stuff like that. So a lot of these sort of like random charts and things like that, I think the main useful thing for them is a source of inspiration. And also it takes a lot of that sort of effort, that initial sort of starting effort off the GM's shoulders. I mean, you still end up having to like rework stuff where you roll stuff randomly and you're like, oh, that doesn't really work. Can I sort of twist it or change it a bit to work? with my campaign but it gets you over that initial hurdle so that's it for our first part of our conversation about prep there is a second part to this episode which will be publishing on the following monday if you'd like to get in touch with us maybe tell us how you do your prep or tools you find useful or just chat about anything else related to rpgs or maybe even give us some ideas for future episodes then you can contact us in a number of ways you can leave us a voicemail message using speakpipe there is a link to the website in the description below if you're having trouble with that though because i know some people have been recently particularly on mobile phones our old anchor account that we used to use is still active if you go on google and search anchor red dice diaries it'll take you to that and you can leave us a voicemail message on there you can also send us an email perhaps with an audio file or attached but just text is fine and our email address is rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com thanks very much for listening until we see you again Take care, stay safe, and whatever you're playing, have fun. Bye. Bye.